Welcome to Zero Downtime, the new podcast brought to you by DCD's editorial team in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical infrastructure provider. Vertiv has kept the world's leading businesses connected for more than 50 years. We build, deliver, and support critical infrastructure that's available, sustainable, and future-ready. Visit us at vertiv.com and see what we can do for you. Hello, welcome to the DCD Downtime Podcast. And today I'm talking to Max Schultzer of the Sustainable Digital Infrastructure Association. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> it's good to have you. Um, and there are so many different things we could be talking about. Um, and we've just picked on one subject um, because both of us are slightly confused as to how you tell whether a data center is a good thing economically or not. Um, sorry if podcast listeners now sort of turn off instantly at this point, but how do you measure the economic value of a data center? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a fascinating question that I try to wrap my head around. Again, I'm not an economist, but, um, but I, I, I try to wrap my head around all the time. You know, it's, it's very simple to say when you're building one, you have certain, you know, you create jobs through construction labor, you have certain materials that you might be buying in the area. Um, but then once it's running, I always, I, I find it really difficult to say, um, where does the, the, the revenue of the services that the data center provide, for example, get taxed, or is there people actually working there? Um, how do we, how do we unravel this step-by-step? Step? Right. But first of all, I mean, it's an important thing to know because, um, we're always hearing about data centers, where they're being built and why they're being built there. And different countries are always competing or different states in America compete to have data centers locate where they are because they see this um, business arriving and being a good thing locally. <clears throat> so obviously, I mean, there are some examples where you can, you know, there are in Ashburn, Virginia, there are so many data centers there. The property taxes alone pays for the best possible schools you can imagine mm -hmm. for the comparatively few people who live there. Mm -hmm. But it's really logically obvious that um, the ratio of data centers and to people can never be that high everywhere. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, at, at what stage are data centers a good thing to have? And at what stage are they not? Yeah, I think for municipalities, um, it's a very simple equation, what you just uh, said. So, so I get a data center, it, it doesn't create a lot of traffic, it doesn't create a lot of noise, it doesn't create a lot of pollution in, that, in the sense of if you compare it to industry, and I have a relatively good return on my land with property tax. I think, though, that in a lot of these calculations, we're missing the, for example, the cost of building the grid, which is often socialized cost, so, so that has already been paid by taxes. Um, then you have the cost of water. There's also a social cost to that. And I, I haven't seen, you know, a municipality saying, if we get a 10 megawatt data center, we get $1 million of uh, property tax revenue. And that uh, stands against 20 years of land, water, and energy costs, you know, of, of infrastructure. And these kind of calculations, that's a really simplified way of looking at it. Uh, but even on that level, I haven't seen, you know, 
proper cost benefit analysis in, in that sense. Which... Right. Yes. I mean, I assume that if anybody listens to this podcast, they'll be flooding us with such cost benefit analysis and we will have our answer given to us. Um, that would but, be great. Yeah. I mean, there the, the, the always seems to be an assumption that um, because the data center is there, other things will happen as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that doesn't particularly happen is that the owner and operator of the data center pays a great deal of tax into the country's economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the the, um, the usual suspects, um, Facebook, AWS, Google, etc., tend to structure themselves so that they pay their tax at the most advantageous point in the uh, local area, um, be it Ireland or wherever. Um, and so, I mean, did, is it worth people trying to figure out how the how that level of economics works for the data center? I think we we have to, right? Because the the digital sector, and I, I think we can all agree that it's it's growing, it's adding something to our society. We don't really, we cannot really tell sometimes what that is. If it is a productivity gain, is it uh, we feel more connected? Is is there is there you know a measurable benefit? And sometimes I think we talked about this, there are numbers floating around, you know, that the digital economy is adding like $3 trillion um, of GDP somewhere. Yeah. And I think we we ought to have a very clear understanding where, the let's say you used Facebook example, if Facebook, their main business model is, is advertising, which they make a lot of money with, then the question is, okay, if there is a data center in the UK serving these ads, is then a proportion of the ad revenue also taxed as corporate income in the UK, right? And the answer is probably not, but I have, again, I haven't now looked into the details of this, but the thesis is, of course, it's probably more, probably likely taxed in the US entity, but isn't the, you know, the ad is shown to a UK citizen, the data centers on UK soil, isn't it logical that somehow at least that proportion of revenue would be somehow entering the, the, the tax system or the, the, the economic system of the UK as well. Right? And I think in the digital world, we, we don't know. Um, we don't have the models. I think we probably know, but we don't have the models to really think this through. Um, I thought last night about the example with, uh, with, with, um, with Microsoft, because I think with Office 365, for example, it's a lot, it's fascinating because I did do uh, some, some, some homework there. And if you, if you imagine the scenario that Microsoft might have a data center in Sweden, right, hosting um, Office 365, let's say, and you have a British company um, buying um, Office 365 licenses, uh, they actually pay an Irish entity as the contractual counterpart. And in a, in a sense, the, um, the data center in Sweden using Swedish land, Swedish power, Swedish infrastructure, never is connected to the revenue that the British company using that data center is generating, um, but is instead uh, sending the money to an Irish entity, which is likely sending it to the US uh, parent, parent entity. So like, wouldn't you account for that revenue in the Swedish economy? Because, you know, it's mm-hmm. happening there, or do you account in it in the British economy, or in the Irish one, or in the US one? Right? Where? Mm-hmm. Where is it accounted for? And it, yeah. Yes, I mean, what we're saying here really is that um, humans are organized in nation states. 
and according to where they physically are. Mm -hmm. And most of the culture that we have evolved so far um, follows those, those same lines. But the digital world um, doesn't or need not, and in some senses cannot follow those lines that um, you know, economically uh, parts of it will be locate themselves where they're cheapest. Mm. Um, and, you know, if it's all optimised for the revenue of the, the company, which is, again, a different thing from the nation state that we're sitting in, mm. you know, then it, it's going to go differently to how you might have thought would be the best way if you were building it from scratch. Yeah, yeah I think we, we, we are essentially entering the questions of, you know, trade economics. Mm -hmm. But the difference here is that um, a friend of mine at the, at the Commonwealth, she explains it to me always very well. If you think about like cocoa trade, right? It's a, it's a, it's a product, you know, you, you farm the cocoa, you maybe do some pre-processing, you put it on a ship, it gets here, there is a border, a customs, and the product is imported, there are duties levered on this, and then you process the cocoa further, and then you export it again. These are very obvious physical flows, right? Mm -hmm. But in the example of, of, of this, let's say this, the Sweden UK example, you could say, make it even more tangible. I'm a software developer in the UK and I book a virtual machine in the Azure or AWS region in Sweden. Am I not then by doing so, importing this virtual machine into the UK, right? Mm -hmm. But since the internet has no borders, nor customs, nor any form of, you know, physical yes like separation of nation states i think it's it's really hard to keep track of the flows of products yes and the flows of exports and imports but i think that's something that you know an organization like the world trade organization and others eventually probably need to get a handle on right because right. there is all this flow uh, which we don't see and we don't have any way of measuring or accounting for Yes, I was going to say that electrons travel across borders freely. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, they probably, there is some kind of accounting. It's probably the level of electric power. Yeah. In any case, this information is going on fibers and photons yeah. travel across borders even more freely. And in any case, it's not what we're talking about here is not the electron or the photon. We're talking about all the, the value it takes yeah. with it as part of a virtual machine. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, fundamentally, are we just saying that we've got two different worlds here and we either need to start um, reorganizing ourselves more virtually or we have to try and force our digital world into this old physical world of nations? Yeah, that, that raises a very philosophical question, right? Will we evolve to one global society and give up, like, you know, yeah, yeah. our nation states? I don't think so. So I think eventually the digital world has to, I don't, you know, I'm not advocating for borders. The internet is a beautiful open space. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think we need like economic models that companies can report against. So, so like a, a model that, you know, they can say like, oh, we imported this much, we exported this much, and that we somehow have a, have a way of accounting for these, these flows of economic value in the digital world. I think that's, that's um, what we need to do. Right. It can't be the old way. It will probably won't be without borders, but there will be a new, there will be the field of digital economics, if you think about it like this. Do we need a sort of new kind of international organization to do it? Or one can existing international organizations um, apply this? 
that's a good question. I, I, if you, I, I think if you ask enough people in the political realm, they feel like most international organizations have, have not been very useful or successful. <laughs> I think when you, when it comes to, you know, mobile phone frequencies and network frequencies, the ITU has the international telecommunications union has, you know, provided this platform to do that. Um, is that the right platform for a field of digital economics? I'm not sure. Is the word trade organization the place? I'm not sure. Um, I feel like there's a lot of baggage attached to these uh, organizations mm -hmm. politically and historically. And I think if we think about digital economics for the first time in not the Western way, but also in a global way that we say, you know, we want to look at the dependence of certain countries on foreign infrastructure, for example, foreign cloud infrastructure um, or foreign services, then we maybe need to set something up that's in, from the st starting point, more of a global organization that looks at everything from, from multiple directions and not just from the, the Western world looking at the planet um, kind of thing. But now it's a, we're very, I'm very political. Okay. And that's a very sort of political and philosophical um, dis diversion almost from the question we set ourselves at the beginning, which was um, if I'm a, a, a planner or a legislator in Harlem or London or wherever, um, and somebody wants to build a data center, should I be excited or should I feel that um, I'm being taken advantage of? Um, and that's the, uh, we, we haven't got very far with that question yet, have we? <laughs> I think let's, we, we also, we went immediately to the big guys. I think the traditional story that I think um, also is very, a very positive story. Let's say um, there's a regional data center coming to my, to my, my town, let's say five megawatts or four mm -hmm. megawatts. And there is a regional hosting company in there that's hosting websites for the municipality, mm -hmm. that's hosting some of the, you know, uh, government systems mm -hmm. and is supporting two industrial companies in the neighborhood that are also needing some IT. Um, then I think the data center can clearly add value. Mm -hmm. It can help these people do their business better with better IT infrastructure. It helps the municipality host its uh, infrastructure. It's probably a lot more efficient. Yes. And I think there it's very obvious yes and on a lot of levels that word obvious comes up it yes. is so obvious in that situation yes. that this is you know this is this is good if you don't have that data center those um those companies have to deal with their it differently yeah. and it'll be less efficient for them and you know even the fact that the data center is operating locally means it's more efficient and those kind of things and all the other intangible benefits that people talk about with data centers follow on from that but there's one um slight thing that i think is not true though is for example there's often this narrative of okay that the fact that that data center is there is going to accelerate the digitalization of that area and i don't think that's true because it's not the data center that accelerates the digitalization of the area it's the IT people that come with it mm -hmm. that are running around helping people, you know, set up a POS system in a bakery, uh, you know, mm. rewire a company's network, move servers around, set up a database. It's the people that accelerate mm. digitalization. And then now let's put it into our previous conversation. And again, we're not pointing out names, but let's say a big social media company sets up 150 megawatt data center mm -hmm. in your neighborhood. Does it come with those IT people? 
Probably not. No. Does it do anything, you know, regionally what we just outlined? Does it paint the same picture? No, it's a, it's a different kind of, let's say, infrastructure facility. Yes. You know? And we need to really be clear in differentiating and having different economic models to look at how these global companies setting up global infrastructure are different from a regional provider setting mm. up a regional hub, you know, yeah. for the for the companies in the neighborhood. And yes, that's there's very different things. Yes, I was uh, in a previous podcast with Hampton Newby. I was talking about meet me rooms, mm. and you know there are states in America that have fought hard to get um, Meta or Amazon or Google to build their data centers where they are. They've got great power, they've got the right tax breaks, and it's a good place for them to build. Mm. And the digitization benefits haven't, the, the, haven't followed on from that because there's no local, you know, there are, meet, there are metros in the United States where there is no meet me room uh, where co-location providers can locate themselves and get telecoms access and all that sort of thing. And that infra, that local ecosystem mm. and people that understand the tech and develop it. So, yeah, um, it's it's like, you know, there should maybe there needs to be something like a campaign for real data centers, you know, that instead of having sort of big um, mass produced bits, we should have some more sort of... Um, useful local serving bits as well yeah i, I talk about this a lot I, I call this regionality i am mm -hmm. um, going back to the you know regional it i think that's really important because again you know a town with five thousand citizens is not going to get digitalized by having the cloud it, they're going to get digitalized by a few it people being there and helping people digitalize their bakery their supermarket their co-op you know this it's about People make digitalization. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not technology itself that does anything. Um, but I, I do. You made me um, realize maybe, you know, if we're building this global infrastructure, which we are going to do, we are going to build hyperscale facilities all over the world. Maybe it shouldn't be, you know, tax breaks and um, you know different states and regions fighting for this. But maybe we need because you asked earlier, do we need a global institution for this? I think maybe we need a global planning approach because this is global infrastructure. And I think we ought to place this infrastructure in a way that really benefits all of society and that it also uh, is built in a way um, to not damage the environment. A good example is always, um, even though I don't like talking about it, uh, is crypto mining, right? When you push crypto mining out of Sweden, Norway, the Nordics, Greenland, Iceland, wherever, you push it often into Eastern Europe or into countries with a lot of coal-fired power plants. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you essentially made it worse. Right? And yes. there's certain facilities that might be better suited in certain areas. And we maybe for these really large facilities, we need somebody that, that, that takes a global mindset, like where do we really strategically put these things um, from a resilience perspective, but also from an environmental um, perspective instead of just you know clustering them all in Virginia or clustering them there because mm. there's low property taxes you know is yes. that the right way to do it yes but also fiber I mean it's not just the taxes it's the um, proximity to fiber to fiber and to the existing websites you know the, the um, if there's a meta data center somewhere then other data centers have to be there so they can serve the ads onto the meta 
yeah. sites, etc. So, um, you know, I could imagine a, an organization that was trying to spread out the data centers would always find that they were sort of attracting themselves back to each other. Like, it's like, it would be like trying to pull apart magnets or something. Yeah. And they wouldn't work so well separated out. But clearly something needs to be a bit different. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I think this whole sector or this whole... Um, the, the telecommunications and 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 data center um, uh, sectors have evolved to be so big and so relevant infrastructure. It, I was just thinking about it. Is there an authority that plans the sea cables? You know, and technically, no. It's all you know. You, it's all private in the sense of you decide as a company where you want that cable to be. But um, you, I think. Maybe it's time to really plan, you know, a global grid of compute and network infrastructure um, that's deliberately designed to to serve all of society in mm -hmm. the most environmentally friendly way. I know it sounds insane. I'm sure nobody will want to do this global planning process. <laughs> do, yes. Sounds horrible. Are you, are you volunteering to do this? No, but I, I, and I, I just follow. I'm a logical mm. person. I follow logic, and yeah. this is the. It sounds like the most logical step towards, right? It, it's... Yeah, and that's not doesn't really answer the question as to how does the planner in London know whether to allow the data centre or not? No. I mean, at the moment, that question is partly driven by um, the sorts of issues that crop up when you let unplanned development reach a certain stage. Mm. You know, they'll be in, in West London, they'll, they'll just say, well, there is no more power. Mm. And um, certain kinds of let's not overestimate this, but you know, certain kinds of housing projects can't get power because of the amount of data centers being built. Mm. You know, at that stage, you decide that um, maybe the, 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 the drawbacks outweigh the benefits if you have a new data center there. And the same process sort of happens in different ways in Singapore, Amsterdam, mm. Frankfurt, Dublin. And, you know, um, I guess that's the way it normally ends up get, getting itself sorted. But I think if you don't, so, so I think a lot of municipalities, they're lacking this vision that we just outlined, you know, what is the, what's the regional data center can do for my municipality, like the, the, the mindset. And then, because if you have that, you can ask very precise questions. You can say, look, if you build here, how many IT jobs are going to be created, you know, not maintenance or electrical engineers, but like IT jobs, how many IT people are going to come to the region? Mm. Um, how, which companies do you plan to work with within that region, you know, um, and, and to really embrace the, the regionality aspect. I know I'm, I'm making things very painful, but yes, <laughs> that's right. And have you got a university where they can learn things and have you got you know, the, the right kind of infrastructure to make those IT people have happy lives of the kind of lives that IT people like to live. <laughs> I think like looking at the working from home trend in the US though, I think more and more IT people live on farms and in the countryside now than ever before. So I think like they're spreading out and you know, they, it, I, I don't think most IT people are happy in, in, in really clustered big cities. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, there, there is a benefit to embracing regionality, also to attract IT people to come back into uh, from from the tech hubs back mm. into um, spreading out. Yes, and I'm now thinking that um, I don't like to mention too many company names here, but I mean I'm thinking um, most of the um, data center builds I'm talking about are really not 
um, regional in that sense. They are um, delivering to kind of global, they're, they're cloud providers or um, large cloud services that are delivering global services. You know, the, the last time I spoke to someone doing a proper regional data center was um, uh, Andreas Schles, North Sea. I mean, North Sea mm. is doing, and the, we, you, you sort of, I keep thinking of that company when I'm talking to people who are just saying, we're doing great business because we've built another four megawatt data center, data hall. It's, we've sold it before we've built it. Mm. And, you know, the idea of actually having a um, companies that are making data centers that people, are, that are filled with people do, doing IT almost by hand, mm. it, it, it almost sounds like I'm looking back in history and I can't, you know, can, can that thing kind of, operation continue to exist i do think like i think the problem is a different one i think we are currently obsession obsessing a lot with these big big and bigger and bigger and bigger things i think the regional things are still happening i i, I mean I, in germany i see a lot of projects like municipality and municipal energy companies and water companies actually somehow building a two megawatt data center to host you know the city's infrastructure and um there's other, uh, there's North Sea is a great example, also serving really like local companies. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think they still exist. It's just, I don't think they get as much attention. Um, but a lot of my friends in the hosting world, they're still investing in, you know, extending a data center by 500 kilowatts. Does that arrive in the, you know, in the, in the press? Probably not anymore, but especially if you're, but we, if you build We cover those stories. Yeah, I know you do, <laughs> we, but on, we, the, on the bigger narrative. We, we find, yes, that's right. We find 15 stories a day or thereabouts <laughs> to write about. A lot of them are stories like that, but it's true. So, I mean, mm, we're sort of coming to the end of the time we normally take for the, this sort of conversation. And um, I feel we haven't reached any conclusions. I also feel... Um, that people listening may feel we're sort of stepping into kind of moral territory where we're, 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 we're sort of valuing hyperscale data centers differently from how we're valuing other data centers mm. and going with a sort of gut feeling about which kind of operation we think delivers most local benefits. Mm. Um, is there anything we can say that's sort of... Um, uh, I wouldn't, I'd hesitate to call it a conclusion, but any sort of thoughts that, that actually um, might be productive to, to go on from this kind of conversation? Yeah, I think from my perspective, I think there's a, maybe a very clear ask towards, you know, academia and the profession of, of, of developing economic models is to maybe come up with a model. I think there's, this is just a very public ask please do that mm -hmm. um and i think yes i mean if 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 you're someone who builds economic models this is a totally new kind of economic model that needs building it's got to be an exciting job for that kind of person isn't it yeah and i think the the other conclusion is this is a conversation about values and i want to urge again to remember that value does not mean money it's not an equal formula um and it's it is about the municipality asking like what's the value we're seeking and if mm -hmm. the answer is we only need property tax then you know it's mm -hmm. all okay but if the answer is oh we want to digitalize our community and we want a local environment in which we you know companies are attracted because we have so good it people mm -hmm. then you have to have a different conversation with the data center that's coming to your region right mm -hmm. and it is a a question 
like think about what value if you if you're a data center think about what value you can really bring mm -hmm. and if you are a community think about what the, what's what you really want to get out of this mm. right and be really clear with those expectations yeah i mean for a lot of cases this might be a new way of thinking because you know i think and it, it's just purely due to the scale of data centers they've reached the level where they've become significant users of physical infrastructure and so they need to um, justify and uh, explain themselves and integrate in society in ways they never have before. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, when the regulations come down from um, the European Union, from the um, you know the German authorities, and e even you know things like um, you know Maryland starts to worry about the um, backup power. You know, even in America, these things can start to. Um, there starts to be a sort of a an answering pressure that comes back from the place where you're putting yourself it, it's we've reached a stage where you actually have to start making those kind of um steps to integrate yeah yeah and also to realize it's not so obvious if you build a power plant in a region you can go to people and say look your light bulb is on now because we connected you to power and, you know, this argument of like, oh, you're uploading videos from your, or you're watching Netflix and that's coming from a nearby data center. We all know it's technically not necessarily true. Yes. And it's, it, we need to come up with better narratives to make it tangible. And I think like mm, helping people digitalize, helping a region digitalize through the deployment of IT people, that's a lot more tangible um, mm -hmm. than basically saying like, oh, if you want to stream something, you have to have a data center and because the first thing I would wonder like, but right now I don't have one and it still works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So I think you, this, this is, it, it is not as simple as I have a power plant and now I have electricity. Yes. Right. And we need to come, I think that the sector needs to come up with a, a more tangible narrative on value creation. Right. That's a good place to leave it, isn't it? Um, DCD listeners, Give us a more tangible narrative on value creation, please. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Max. Thank you, Peter, for having me. Sustainability is no longer a nice to have. It's a priority. Vertive Power, cooling and IT management solutions for critical infrastructure are designed to reduce the use of energy, water, and space. From innovative liquid cooling to dynamic grid services, we work hand-in-hand -hand with customers to enable them to meet their data center sustainability goals. Visit us at Vertive.com and see what we can do for you. Thanks for listening to the Zero Downtime Podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical digital infrastructure provider. Don't forget to like this podcast and subscribe to our channel. We'll see you again next time.